This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in at Guido's or ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, back in studio with uh, Jenna Wright, president and CEO of the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation. Correct. A lot of syllables there. It's a mouthful when it you is. introduce yourself. Looking forward to talking to you. I actually met you at the, um, was it AOGA? No, it was, uh, what conference was I that? I think it was yeah, AOGA. Yeah, yeah, we were there, and I kind of knew who you were a little bit, because you've been like DMV in the past, and, and we just realized before the podcast, we actually went to UA at the same time. Right. Were you in the College of Business and Public Policy as well? Uh, yeah, I have a minor in I have a major in history, and then I minored in economics. So I was I was doing a lot of classes over there. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if we were in some of the same classes. Ever be, were you ever in Paul Johnson's classes, economics professor? He was took a lot of economics classes. I don't think so. I I took econometrics classes. Oh God, I hated that class. That was a bad class. One of my I'm more favorites. of a, I'm more of a, a macro. I'm a big picture guy. Sure. Yeah, I'm a fifty thousand. You know, I don't like the details. Yeah. It's micro people. They love doing all the numbers. I prefer to live in the macro most of the time, but I feel like you need to understand the microeconomics of things to understand the macro yes, side. Yes, that's that's true. So, I'm, like I said, though, I like I like that that big picture. So you're um, you're from here, and we'll talk about kind of your job now because you just got chosen as the new Bill Pop, new president CEO. Which is interesting because he left, he's running for mayor, he was there for 16 or 17 years, right? 16 years, yeah. And then they made you the interim president CEO, and then they did like a global, like a mayor, you know, Dave Bronson, they were doing the global search for the library director. I think we called it a nationwide search. But, but there was a search, so there was like, people applied, and normally these things, you know, take several months, you know, three, four, five, I mean, they used to apply and interview, and there's a board, and there's a committee, and all that, so... But in your case, I mean, pretty quickly after they announced, they like they came out and they said, oh, yeah, Jenna, we're hiring Jenna Wright. Yeah, I was impressed with the board's process. They went really quickly. Um, they knew Bill was leaving, so they had a little bit of um, advance notice there, and they started the recruitment process. They did a nationwide search, worked with the um, recruitment firm here in town to kind of sort through some of the initial applicants, and then they were really deliberative in their process. How they many people applied? Uh, as far as I know, it was over 100 um, did they interview everybody? I mean, they probably filtered it down to, you know, maybe 10 or 15 or something. I don't have all those details being a candidate myself, but, yeah, they, they dwindled it down to a couple of um You don't get, like, the inside track if you're, no. the, if you're the acting? Like, hey, let me, uh, let me see all those. No, I don't think that would be appropriate. Probably not. Yeah. So you, but you've been there for how many years? I joined AADC in June of last year. So I was there for about 15 months as vice president before I joined as president and CEO. And before that, this is interesting, you were at DMV. You were the acting DMC. You're, yeah. You're bigger than acting. You get acting direct, and then you get, then you get the, the real job. Totally, yeah. I'm always throwing my hat in the ring for the, the next thing. Um, but yeah, I was at DMV for about four years prior to coming on board at AEDC. I ran all statewide operations for all of the DMVs and the business partners and the driving schools and things like that. I was hired on initially as deputy director, and then I was acting director for a period of time as well. 
Whenever I hear DMV, I just think of that Jeff Schmitz guy because whenever, yeah. like Juno, or there's he's kind of the guy down there. Yeah, um, I worked with Jeff directly for probably the last year that I was at DMV. So I, one thing about DMV that I like now, because I think we all think of government, we think of like DMV and post office, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you go and you wait, and it's like inefficient. But but like I just got my, you can do it so much in the mail now, just online. You know, you could. I got my re- registration renewed online mm-hmm. uh, recently. I I feel like you can do your license too once, and we have to. I think. Every ten so many years, you have to go in person, right? And do the eye test. But that, like recently, I did sorry. it, and I, I did it like just I didn't even have to go in. Yeah, that was my goal when I came on board was to really change the stigma around DMV because typically people are like, "Oh man, I have to go to the DMV. This is going to be awful." And I wanted people to walk in and be totally like have their mind blown over the customer service and the efficiencies that we had. So one of the ways that we tried to tackle that was everything that could be done online or through the mail, let's find a way to offer that to the constituents of Alaska. And there's a couple of things, like occasionally you need to come in and verify that you're still capable to drive. I mean, that's a safety issue. Yeah, so at some point, when do people have to start, what age do you have to start coming in like yearly? Because right now it's five years, right? Your it's, license is it's good for five every, years. I believe it's actually seven or eight years now. Uh, it changed recently because of Real ID. And so it's every other time you need to come in. But at some age, don't you have to come more free? Like if you're like 80, or is that just doesn't kind of? I don't believe so. I think it's just every other time. Yeah. So I got mine last time. Now the real idea, I got to ask you about that because I haven't got it yet because they keep put. You know, it was supposed yeah. to happen 10 years ago, and then it was like gets pushed off every couple of years. But what do I have? To, I have to get like a bill or something, my passport, yeah. and I have to go in person. Like, do, should I do that? Is that something people should do? I definitely recommend everybody get the real ID because at some point the federal government is going to enforce those real ID laws. You're right. It's been pushed out multiple times. I think when I was at DMV, I saw two date changes and then there's been one more since I've left. So, but I, I definitely recommend that everybody get it. And especially if you're a U.S. citizen, it's pretty easy. You need to bring in either your birth certificate or your passport, your social security card, and two pieces of mail that show that you're actually an Alaska resident. You're a resident in the state that you're applying for the license in. So, so then, it's not that hard. So then my current ID, that you give that back, and then they send you a new one? Correct. Yeah, you okay. would get your new one in the mail. When I first moved here in 04, uh, I remember people still had those, like, old-school ghetto IDs that were, like, literally laminated. Oh, yeah, I had some of those. <laughs> and, you know, I grew up in New Mexico, and I moved here when I was 19. And by that point, you know, New Mexico, they had the ones we kind of see now, the you know, plastic kind of like credit card looking things. But I was working at um, in a restaurant and I was actually supposed to work at, I worked at Boston's Pizza in Albuquerque. I like opened mm-hmm. that store and I was a server, in New Mexico you can serve at 19, alcohol. And then so I had, they were, there was one up here and I was like, I transferred and I got here and they were like, wait a minute, you're 19, you can't, you can't be 21. Right. Oh, shit. So I was like a cook for a while and dish, and I was not dishwash, that was not my thing. At uh, the but, Boston's when yeah, we had one yeah, here in Anchorage? Over there where Matsu Brewing is now. Oh, I used to so love that I, I worked, It was good. Yeah, yeah, I worked there for... And then my two of my friends moved up here after I did. They were from New Mexico, too, but they were living in Seattle. And then they started working there. One of them became, like, the manager. And then he they've since left a long time ago. But um, I remember seeing people's IDs, and I was like, is this a fucking... This is fake. Yeah. Like, this is, this is literally laminated. Technology has come a long way. And now we're totally with, like, you get them in the mail, and it's all, like, the hologram, right? Totally. On the back of the Alaska licenses, if you put it under a black light, it has a bowhead whale. Really? Yeah, which is a really kind of like little known secret uh, security feature on our on our IDs, which is pretty cool. Well, like I said, I don't know if this is in your time or when this started, but there's so much now you can do without having to go in and just wait. You you get a number and it's like, oh, my God, I have to be here all day. And 
Right. And I'll say one more thing on DMV is don't get a number and be there all day. Just make an appointment. It's so easy. You can Yes, you can do that too. Yes. Which is, when did that start? Um, we used to have same day appointments when I started, but I want to say about a year or two into my tenure, we actually brought on an online appointment model where you say, this is what I'm coming in for. This is the time that I want to mm-hmm. come in for. And it's much more specific. We've always had some sort of like same day appointments, but those aren't very... Um, those aren't very convenient. So you must have worked a little bit when you were there with Kelly Chewbacca, right? I did, yeah. She, she was, was commissioner? She was the commissioner when I worked at DMV because DMV falls into the Department of Administration. So when she decided to like run, were you like, oh my gosh, like I, yeah. I, I know her. I worked with her. Because you were you were direct, acting director, so I assume you were like working with her. I worked really closely with Kelly on a number of things, but in particular, uh, we were... Going back to Real ID, we were trying to figure out how to get Real IDs to rural Alaskans where they didn't actually have a DMV office in all of rural Alaska. As you know, it's very remote. Because you have to come in physically, right? You're supposed to? You do, yeah. We have to be able to physically see you. Um, And so we were trying to figure out ways that we could um, make DMV more accessible to rural Alaskans. And so we were doing a lot of testifying in front of the legislature on that particular issue. And Kelly and I would partner on that. But isn't that a federal requirement? Mm Mm-hmm. So they were trying to make... an exception or trying to figure out a way to you know, work around? I think the legislature was just trying to understand what the federal requirements were and how we could adapt those to Alaska in the most convenient way to get licenses to um, rural Alaska. You, you have to do like remote DMV where people fly out there and do a little remote. That's what we were talking about. We were talking about doing basically a road show to a lot of the hub villages and just making sure that it was widely advertised at a time when it was convenient for folks to come in and, and bring in all their documents. Um, the extension of the date played in our favor, so we didn't end up having to do that because the other va- licenses are still valid to this So when the, whenever this thing does go into effect, to fly, you're going to have to have that uh, or a passport, right? Those are the two most common ones, but um, federally recognized tribal IDs are also a valid form of a real ID that you can use to fly. Mm-hmm. So that that's another thing that, that rural Alaskans have. When's it pushed off now to like 25 or 24? I mean, it seems like it gets, every time we get close, it gets pushed back two more years. To be honest, I've lost track. I have my real ID and I'm no longer at DMV, so I don't know what the next date is. That's something I'm going to do after the, I'm going to have to get after the podcast, get my, get you my real ID. And now, now there's some conspiracy around the real ID. I'm sure you're aware, right? Like people think, you know, they're tracking or whatever. There's all these like kind of conspiracy. Years ago, that started when that Chris Tuck was big anti real ID. Remember that back when he was in the legislature, I long do. time ago. He did like a whole video about it. I do, yeah, yeah. There, there are no chips in the real ID. There's this whole like subculture of the internet where it's like, <laughs> here's what they're doing. Right. Real ID. It's all starting here. Right. Well, it originated because um, the 9/11 terrorists, several of them, had legitimately issued driver's licenses that got them on those planes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the federal government wanted to respond by just putting more stringent, um, streamlined and consistent standards across states. It's wild how before, you know, like D.B. Cooper back in that time, you know, the guy who got on this plane and like jumped out and they never found him. Like back then, like you didn't have to show anything. You could just get on an airplane. In the seven, like Totally. I think this was pretty much after that, maybe 70s or 80s, you had to start showing. But even now, I flew back um, this summer from Kenai on, I think it was Raven. They aren't flying there anymore. They, they aren't doing that anymore. But it's because it's not like... You don't have to go through TSA. Yeah, you just get on the plane. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. That's yeah. It's like a bus, you know? It's interesting. It's much more convenient. You don't have to go two hours early or whatever your yeah, time you frame is. Yeah, just literally get there and sit down. And then I didn't I haven't flown that for a long time, so I just walked on. I was like, is anybody... Um, hi, is anybody going to check, check me or anything? 
thanks for the cookie. They have great cookies on Raven flights. <laughs> so you left DMV and then you went straight to ADC. Is that kind of what happened? Or? I did. Yeah. Where they were hiring or there was an opening or they approached you? You know, I have kept tabs on ADC for a long time because before I was at DMV, I was at a company called Microcom. And Microcom was a member of AEDC. Oh, I know Microcom. I used to work at IT and Telecom. Oh, great. Yeah. And I worked at uh, this few smaller IT firms and then one got sold to GCI in 2015. So I was at GCI for like a year and a half. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I was in the telecom industry as well right out of um, college. That was really? kind of my first professional Microcom? Role. microcom? Yeah. I just had a fascinating conversation about the satellites, you know, the, the Starlink, you know, the, the, the Leo versus a Geo, you know, the high orbit, like so yeah. these, right now these high orbit, I'm not by any means an expert, but like the reason there's so much latency is because these things are fucking millions of feet, you know, 2 million feet or something. Yeah. They're but much higher than where the Starlink and the Starlinks are, are very, very low orbit, but right. you know how many, you know how many, and the reason that works is because they hop, mm -hmm. you know how many Starlink satellites, I mean, they're pretty, they're like toaster size. They aren't that big. Right. You know how many Starlink satellites are in the air? In the sky? I don't. Just guess. You'll never guess. Millions. 5,000. Really? Yeah. But still, it's like, I, I, I would have guessed like hundreds maybe, 5,000. Oh, five, I would have guessed more because they're so small to get yeah. the footprint. I, I mean, mean oh, that's ultimately the goal, right? Is to get adding, the footprint of the Earth. They're adding more and more and more. So because so because they're low orbit, they you know they aren't geostationary. They, mm -hmm. act, they move, so they go fast. Right. And, and um, it's just crazy now, like the latency... Reduction. I mean, it's like a ten-time reduction, and the, the cost too for you know some of these other satellites, HughesNet or whatever, they're very expensive. Yeah. But these these Starlink, it's like a game changer for for rural, you know, remote places. I mean, it's pretty pretty incredible. Totally. Yeah. And Microcom's doing some really cool stuff with um, their sister company, Pacific Dataport. Um, they actually just recently launched. Well, a that's, that, that's that Sean Williams character, right? He was at, yeah. he was at uh, Commerce, wasn't he? Yes, for, I believe he a was a deputy commissioner. Yeah, yeah. Um, I serve with him now on the mayor's economic resiliency kind of advisory committee. So I've gotten to know him in that capacity. But we didn't work together um, at Microcom. So what did you do? Did you sell services or what, did, what was your... So I was the director of business operations. And so we were, when I was at Microcom, a significant part of their business was the fulfillment provider for Dish Network and DirecTV. So I oversaw customer service, our dispatching, um, installation, um, data management, a little bit of IT. And all of that was for Alaska, Hawaii, and Idaho was where they were currently operating at the time. How long did you do that for? Six years, I believe. Five or six years, yeah. Wow, I didn't really, I realize you had a whole yeah. telecom background. Yeah, well, it, it was it was the operations side of things that really attracted uh, me to that company. And then I got to know the owners really well because I reported directly to them. And they're just such a great family, um, fantastic Alaska-owned business for many, many years. And so it was, it was great to be over there. Um, but I think we started talking about this on how I got to AEDC. So when I was at Microcom, um, they were a member of AEDC. And so I would go to the luncheons and I would always think, man, this in information is so interesting. This organization is really doing a lot for Anchorage. I want to know more. And so I always wanted to go to the luncheons. And then when I was at DMV, um, I saw the opportunity uh, for a vice president role at AEDC. And I thought, well, I don't want to pass this up. And so threw my hat in the ring, had a couple conversations with um, Bill, and the rest is history. I got brought on as vice president last year, and it's been so much fun, so rewarding. And I'm just so honored to be in the president CEO role now. Yeah, and you uh, worked your way up quick. I like that. Yeah. So, so how many people are there now? Is it because at one point they had. What, eight, seven or eight people there, right? Yeah, we're a staff of four right now. So we have um, this year um, before Bill left, it was president and CEO, 
vice president, workforce development program manager, and then our development director as well. Um, and so going into 2024, it's going to be myself as president and CEO. We have a marketing and development director and then a workforce development manager. And then it's also my intention to create a new position around business retention and expansion here in Anchorage. But nice. that, that one will probably be posted closer towards the end of the year with the January hiring date. Yeah, I think for the people familiar, it's like the, the luncheons they do, and then they do the, the one every year, which is like they bring some speaker up. And I went, went to one years ago, that Jeff Hazlett guy. He was kind of high hmm. energy. Remember him? Was that? I don't think I went to that luncheon. Was long, no. It was like probably 16. Yeah, he was some author guy, very fucking high energy. I mean, he came out like, yeah. it, was, it was like a production. It was like a, almost like a, like a, not a movie, but like, you know, when the, the wrestlers come out of the, you know, it was like that. It was like very intense. Oh, geez. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a Ca- character. Catches your attention. Yeah, at our luncheons, the, kind of the, the format that we like to follow is that we do about a 20 to 30 minute presentation on the forecast or particularly in January, we'll say, hey, this is what we saw last year in the economy and this is what we're expecting to see in the coming year. Um, And then we also invite several um, members of the community to give kind of addresses on different things that are going on that are- You should should bring me in someday. I will consider that. Put put me in coach, I'll do it. (laughs) Um, I guarantee people are going to show up, you know, some are going to show up to- it would be not loose, for the good reason. Right? Yeah, it would be loose. Yeah, yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> people would be like, "What's he going to say?" Oh my god! I am sure that very thought would be on a lot of people's we'll, mind, we'll, mine included. <laughs> we'll pack the room. Yeah, just it's like you know, you don't want to lose your job though. You know. Yeah, exactly. Like I gotta, fired. I got to weigh these things out. <laughs> um, but the mayor always speaks, and he gives us um, kind of a state of the city in terms of um, economic priorities that he has. Um, we do the economic presentation, and then we always bring up a keynote speaker, um, generally that's related to economic development. Um, we go to annual conferences each year, and a lot of the times we'll we'll try to find the person that inspires us the most and grab them and recruit them up to Alaska. To who are, who are some of the? I'm trying to think of some of the speakers. I've, I've been to several of them. Yeah. So since I've been there, um, last August we had Roger Brooks come up. He mm-hmm. is a destination development expert, and he goes to cities. He's been to over 2,000 cities. Um, primarily in the in North America, but he's also done some work in Europe. And he basically secret shops them from the perspective of a resident, a visitor, and an investor, a potential investor. And then he delivers to the community a report that says, hey, this is what I saw as just totally secret shopping your place. I didn't get any advanced information from the economic development or the chamber or whoever it was that hired me. I just wanted to, to see what my perspective was. And they give this report that says, this is everything you're doing well. And these are some things that you really need to work on. And so he did that for us here in Oh, Anchorage. he did an Anchorage? Yeah. I didn't go to that one. What did he say? Was he like, you guys are fucked? <laughs> no, not at all. He said you Not have that a- I'm pessimistic about Anchorage, but... <clears throat> no, he said you have a beautiful city, but there are some things that you can do to um, help attract workforce, which is kind of our chief economic concern right now. And... Um, was he where people are like leaving for tenure? We're like losing population. Yeah, he knows that, right? Yeah, he did a little background research on that. Um, but a lot of what he said was around placemaking. So right now, what we're finding is that jobs are in total abundance anywhere in the country right now. You can relocate to pretty much any city and find a job. Um, so what that means is that careers are becoming more of a lifestyle decision, and people are choosing to move their families to places that align with their personal preferences. So that's why it's so important for cities to be investing in quality of place investments right now. And that was really what Roger highlighted. Well, that's what I've been saying for a long time, you know, especially after COVID, 
the tech workers and the finance workers and the remote people that want to like hike or ski or fish or kayak or outdoor stuff, you know, we, we happen to be in one of the best places in the world for like outdoor, you know, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But we don't, you can't, I've had people I've talked to actually that would wanted to move for friends of friends that wanted to move here and they can't find anywhere to live. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's nowhere to, there's like the supply is so bad. <clears throat> we can't, you know, build more housing. They try to pass the thing in the assembly and, you know, the, they, they get like attacked. Like they're trying to, you know, socialize the, the city or something. It's crazy how like people freaked out when they were just trying to make building a little easier. And mm-hmm. we should have like condos and, you know, easy to, you know, kind of buy places or close to, close to the center, midtown or downtown. And we don't have any of that. And it's really like a problem because I think we could attract so many people to come here if we had, you know, that, that, that infrastructure in place or that housing available. I couldn't agree more, Jeff. I mean, I think, I think that there needs to be a conversation around the implications of not having enough housing in your community. And hopefully at the end of that conversation, we can have a culture shift. But don't we talk about that all the time? Like we're having a housing summit next week and there's been housing summits. And I mean, it just seems like they always talk because this has been, I got very lucky. I bought my condo back in 2012 Mm -hmm. and it was built. These units were built between 2000 and 2007 over on Fairway off of um, Sylvan Drive, Old Seward and Dowling area. Yeah. You know, and, and I got a really good, it was a foreclosure. Luckily it was a pretty, but even if it wasn't a foreclosure, the price was not crazy. Right. Th- that thing has gone up in value so much mm-hmm. that you can't even find a place like that now. Totally. You know, I mean, it would be so expensive. And I was still, I was just starting to work. I had some money saved up. You know, it was like, it was doable. But I mean, if you're like starting off or if you're even making a like decent money, but you have a you know, family and kids, it's really not easy to even find a place to rent. No. I think our rental vacancy rate last time I checked was about 3.2%, which is really, really low. Um, and then just last month, I looked at the year-to-date average sales price for homes sold on MLS. It's like 460 or 70000 isn't it? 483 So it's gone up because last year it was like four fifty. So it's going up yeah. by, by shit, you know, a few yeah. percent. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely a problem. Um, I do commend... Um, policymakers in our city for trying to think about ways that we can reduce burdens on housing or on housing development. Um, and, you know, it, I think the the initial um, ordinances that were put out that just separated Anchorage into two zoning codes was le- met with a lot of resistance. But, you know, I commend the policymakers for not giving up and they're kind of coming back to the table and they're having the housing action week this week. So mm-hmm. it actually started yesterday, kicked off at the chamber of commerce is make it Monday. And then there's a, a, a convening on Friday. They've got what they're calling a nerd night on uh, Thursday night over at 49th state. So there's some really great uh, um, activities that are happening this week to kind of bring the community into the conversation. I, I just get, you know, I'm, those are, those are good things. And they're, yeah. they're, but I just get like, Frustrated being in Juneau and, and here and you just like these same fucking conversations like every year. It's the same yeah. about the dividend or about housing or about all these different you know, building infrastructure or like this this bridge, which we need to build, by the way. I mean, I don't know if ADC has a position on the bridge, but we got to build the bridge. I mean, the connect arm. That's that's going to be you guys probably don't like that, though, because it's chasing people up to the valley. <laughs> Well, ADC doesn't have a position on the bridge. At least since I've been there, we haven't taken one, so I'm not familiar with it. You guys should, you guys should form the, the bridge uh, committee, <laughs> you know, on, within your board or something. The bridge committee. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an interesting idea, not only for, just for housing, but like hydropower over on the other side of the inlet. I was just talking with um, somebody yesterday about um, the opportunities for alternative energy and, and things that we can do over there, which is really interesting. Well, and also, you know, I think this is why Don Young was so supportive of it. If you look at, you know, the port, 
Mm-hmm. All this stuff comes in. They go on trucks to the valley or Fairbanks. They all go through the Glen, you know, the Merrill Corridor, you know, through uh, through the valley. All those trucks, right? I mean, it's emissions. It's 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 road, you know, where these big trucks. If there was a bridge, bam, straight across. You know, you you, you skip the whole Fifth Avenue. You you take track. You know, you improve traffic patterns and emissions, and they go and you. Plus, it's a reduction in, in, in travel time too to the Parks Highway. We definitely need to change the traffic pattern in downtown Anchorage. That's one thing that it's so bad. Like around four or five o'clock. I mean, oh my god! It's like you to get out of you know to get to get to like Eagle River, the valley. It's you just sit there. Yeah, and going back to Roger Brooks, one of the things that that he was really passionate about was that we need to turn Fifth and Sixth Avenues back into two way streets because right now we've got one way traffic that just flies mm-hmm. down. Um, both of those streets and it really detracts businesses from wanting to set up on the side or have like outdoor dining or anything like that when you've got so many folks just like screaming by with their semis or or whatever even if it's a 30 mile an hour speed limit not everybody listens to that that's why i gotta get that bridge. I'm, I'm, I'm a big i don't know if you're sure you're aware of i am oddly a, for i'm a bridge. big fan of landmine podcast and so i've heard you mention that a time or two i've written an article too a few months back about it and it was funny because the people most against the bridge fascinatingly are like the mayor and mostly assembly people because their, 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 their concern is, or their, their worry is um, if we, that happens and there's a housing boom over there, we're going to lose people and it's going to go to the Valley and cause that's, it's in the Matsu. So they're going to pay property tax, which is true, mm-hmm. but also it's going to free up housing here. Yeah. There's going to be more supply, but also I think the bigger reason the policymakers in Anchorage are against it. All I've talked to every Valley elected official that I could local borough, legislate every they're all for it every single one of them is for it i think most the local people in anchorage are against it because it basically um acknowledges a failure to to, to you know f- f- figure out figure out our housing problems and our kind of all of our issues that's probably maybe a bigger reason but also they, they don't like the property tax thing because you know estimates show as many as forty thousand people would go over there interesting from anchorage which yeah. is like you know not a small number of people. And and that might be part of the reason that people are against it. I think, too, it's it's incredibly expensive. And so you have to think of a compelling reason to spend money on a bridge like that as opposed to additional infrastructure that would help build housing within the Anchorage municipality. Like, for instance... Um, Four years ago, it was a billion, they estimated. I'm sure it's probably prob- double that. Now. I know. In this day and age, probably... <laughs> But, you know, um, Aklutna and the administration just announced a partnership of anywhere from 900 to 1,300 units that are going to be built up on um, Powder Ridge. I in saw Eagle that, River. Yeah. So, I mean, investing in infrastructure for projects like that, uh, the wastewater and water utility that's so expensive to run, I think that has a little bit more of a compelling reason for or compelling um, reason to, to yeah, invest I'm, I'm, for me. I'm all for that. I just hope we don't have like a Girdwood type people up there that are going to try to stop because Holton Hills was a great housing project that like that's the biggest problem in our state, mm-hmm. whether, whether it's a housing project or a, a infrastructure project or a resource development project or a school project. It just takes like a few people, like yeah. five or 10 people with connections, with money, with influence to stop. I mean, it's just, it's just so frustrating how, how the result of all of this is, is basically nothing happens, whether it's like a conservative priority or like a liberal priority, people can stop pretty much anything with the courts, with, with political influence, you know, with 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 money, lawyers, and and I just I, just, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. But I mean, Hick, Hickle, Wally Hickle used to back in the day. You know, he they said you couldn't do something. He's like, yes, the federal come stop us. Right. Old school. Tenacity. Just do it. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was talking earlier about I think we need to have a, a culture change in the city because I think a lot of the reasons that people might not want a particular type of housing within their community is rooted in fear, right? It's fear that um, there's going to be more density and I like my privacy or there's fear that that's going to drive my housing uh, value down and this is my uh, largest asset that I have in my portfolio. So whatever the reason is, like addressing those fears and explaining how if we have gentle density increasing throughout the city, that's not necessarily going to affect uh, property values in a negative way or anything like that. And so once we kind of reframe the way that people think and understand these issues, I think we can make some more progress. But to your point earlier, that's a long process and that's frustrating when we have a need right now. Well, you, ha you have interest, like you said, that people are worried about their value. And, you know, like I look at my parents, they bought their house, they're, they're still there in 1985. I was born in 84. They moved to New Mexico. It was like $59,000. Okay, just for inflation, whatever. But if you look at the prices of the housing now, you know, it's like it's values have gone up so much way outpaced inflation. And, you know, I, I think people just they got lucky, old, you know, folks that are older now and, and they have a house that they paid, you know, quarter million dollars for three hundred thousand dollars for in the past. Now it's worth right. one point five million, but you know, they own it. And then a lot of people aren't even you know, they aren't selling their houses. They're, they're holding on to them. Um, and then when they, you know, they do sell it, they don't sell it, you know, the kids don't get it. Usually they sell it for whatever it's worth. And then it's just really challenging for younger people all over the country. It's not just here. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's a supply and demand issue. I mean, we just don't, we don't have enough housing. And in addition to that, you had mentioned people are just sitting in their housing. That's because the majority of mortgages that are out there right now are below 3%. Mine's three and a quarter. Yeah. I got real freaking lucky on mine. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's something that I, I think we all realize that we're probably not going to see that anytime soon um, again. And so people are saying this is... Well, I think I read an article, very interesting, about before the housing crash in 2008, 2009, there was an oversupply. I mean, money was cheap. There was a boom. Everybody thought it was going to never go down. So there was like built, like crazy building was happening all over the country. <clears throat> this thing happened. It was, you know, horrible kind of, you know depression type situation since then <clears throat> there's been a lot of caution there's not been a lot of building in the last you know decade since then plus mm -hmm. so now we have an undersupply right and now we have high interest rates and we have the cost of i, mean, I had a friend who was <clears throat> looking at building a house around co before covid kind of put it off it's like literally doubled the yeah. same exact house everything's the same right the, the, the cost is doubled for materials and labor, all these all these things. I had the same experience. Um, my husband and I were looking at buying a piece of land and, and building a custom home on it. We ended up not pulling the trigger. And I am so grateful that we didn't because we weren't going to build until about this time, which would have been the worst time. Oh, yeah. That. I no, mean, that's... Yeah, a custom house like that, at husband's least for from, our personal. Husband's from here, or did you import? He was born in Fairbanks and came to Anchorage when he was in middle school. Okay, so, so local. Yeah. What's he do? He is the general manager of Classic Collision uh, Midtown. So it's the old Spruce Park oh, Like the auto, auto body? Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, he worked for Abel, and then Abel was purchased by Classic, I want to say two or three years ago. And so he's, Is Abel the guy? No, I'm thinking of Chaz. Who's the guy with the airplanes? Uh, that's, that's Chaz. Yeah, he's got all the cool airplanes. Yep, yeah, that's Chuck. So Chuck, yeah. So how'd you guys meet? Like, uh, Let me guess. Let me guess. Bar. Nope. No. Um... Not so exciting. Um, church. No. No. <laughs> no. Um, Tinder. No. I give up. Okay. Three guesses. That was pretty good. Um, we did meet online, but it was not through a traditional dating app. We um, Did he slide into your DMs? 
Kind of, but not yes. not intentionally. Yes. We so my dad is a mountaineer and he's climbed Denali twice. Oh really? Yeah. Well he's actually tried three times and he summited twice. And so it's um always been a part of my DNA. I love being out in the mountains. And um my husband Dana was part of a commission that was put together to try to rename the mountain from Mount McKinley to Denali. And so I started interacting with him on a Facebook post about like, hey, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. This is a really great effort. And then we just kept talking and talking. And he's I'll like, I bet he's like, ooh, look at her. Yeah. Hey. He's like, happy, you, happy to help. He's like, you have dogs. I have a dog. Do you want to go to dog walk? And then, you know, here we are. What is it? Wow. Nine years later. How we meet people, huh? I know. I know. So you, were, you must have been in your like 20s or? Yes. Yeah. I was, uh, gosh, I was 25 and he was 29 when we met. How long did you guys date before you got married? Four years. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you had a long, you kind of knew. Yeah, we're, we're doing things, uh, we're taking our time, we're enjoying every step of, of the process of the, yeah. Did you, did you read uh, anything about Anatoly Bukharev by chance? He's a very famous Russian mountaineer. He died, he's from Kazakhstan. No. He died in uh, Annapurna in 96, but he was, he wrote a book um, called, uh, there was Into the Clouds, oh my gosh, I read it for my book club a couple, last year. Uh, he came up to Alaska, he was in Alaska, like, after the Soviet Union broke up, and he, he was, like, a world-renowned, fam- like, set records, he's just kind of a freak, like a Lance Armstrong type, just lungs, and his physiolo- physiology was very, you know, accustomed yeah. to, like, or built for climbing. He came here in, like, the early 90s, and he had, like, old-school Russian equipment and, like, a wool Sweat. People are kind of like, "What the fuck is this guy wearing?" Yeah. He set a solo ascent record for Denali. That's like, I think it still holds today. Amazing. And he just he'd been all over the world, and he had, he was he was on Everest during the crack hour type. He's actually went oh, up there. Wow. He re- he rescued. He a lot of people criticize. He went up there and like rescued people. Wow. Like like he was he was quite quite a quite a mountain. He was probably one of the best mountaineers in the you know ever. And he was in I think it was ninety six in Annapurna, and there was an avalanche, and he died. Oh wow, that's but, that's tragic. But he's a very very like very fascinating guy. Yeah, there's a lot of history in mountaineering um, and just amazing athletic feats that people have done. I should have mentioned earlier in the story, uh, my husband has also climbed an alley. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and his, it's even cooler than that. So he was part of the um, 2012 uh, Centennial um, climbing team. Um, so his descendants um, was part of the original summit expedition, Walter Harper. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and so a hundred years later, a descendant from each of the original people from the climbing team did a centennial climb oh, wow. to honor their legacy. I wonder if they poured one out for the homies on top. You know, you got to pour one out for your people. Pour, pour a little. You know, I wouldn't be surprised given the group of guys that went you got, up you there. Got, you got to like, you know. Yeah. Gotta pour one out. Yeah, and excuse me, it was 2013. It wasn't 2012. I'm getting my dates mixed up, but yeah. So th- my husband was part of that team, which kind of inspired him to get the the mountain renamed to Denali, and that's how one, we met. One of my favorite talking about that. One of my favorite Trump stories was, was Lisa and Dan were in the. Have you heard the story? They were in the Oval Office, and he was like, "What about this Denali business? We're going to tr- change it back to McKinley." And they were like, "I think one of them reached across the desk, and they were like, we are not. You will not do that.' You know, like who said about tr- Trump?" Oh, Lisa and Dan were in the office, and you know Trump was like, "I heard, I heard this Denali stuff. We're gonna let's let's get it back to McKinley. What do you guys think?" And it was it was written in a book, or there was some account of this. And I think Lisa, or one of them, like reached across the desk and was like, "We are like that is a bad idea." Good for them. Yeah, good that, for that, them. That, that, that's a. I can see him saying, "Okay, yes, ma'am." Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was probably before it got bad because now they aren't very. 
yeah. friend, friendly. They have some. Yeah. McKinley was a, what, a senator from Ohio? Oh, yeah, uh, president too. But he, yeah, his, and he had never been to Alaska. I know. Never set foot in Alaska. I don't even know who, who was named there. I've, I've heard that story. Somebody named it after, you know. Yeah, I think he was assassinated, right? That guy, I think. Oh, I don't know. I think Comey got assassinated. Yeah, oh. he, was, he was one of them. There was, who else? There was uh, Lincoln and mm-hmm. Cleveland, and there was like four, I think. And then a couple have gotten shot. I think, was it Roosevelt? He got, you know, he got shot, Teddy Roosevelt, and he like, before a speech, and he, I think it was him, and he's, he still gave the speech. <laughs> wow. Like gangster. That is dedication. Like Reagan got shot, and it was pretty bad. I mean, he had to, the Hinckley guy, I think. Yeah. He had to, he had to go to the, under the, under the. Under the knife there. Yeah, scary stuff. So what else about Anchorage? I mean, are we, how are we doing? I mean, I don't feel like we're doing that great, I'll be honest. I mean, what about jobs? And the, I mean, I feel like if you want to work, you said that earlier, you, there's jobs. And oh, yeah. If, especially in Anchorage, I think if you want to do something, there's there's jo- there's work, right? Yeah. I mean, just the, the job market in Anchorage, uh, where to start? There are two to three jobs being posted for every one person looking for work. I've heard people um, in the public sector and the private sector will post a job, and I've heard this from many people, where they used to have like 10 or 15 applicants. Mm-hmm. They have like one yeah. or two or none. And so what that creates is a situation where employers are prioritizing, okay, what are the positions that we need to hire for the most? And let's not even worry about those other ones because we don't want to dilute our applicant pool. It's really it's really a challenging time for employers right now. So two to three jobs being posted for every one person looking for work. Um, year to date, our unemployment numbers are at 3.2%. We got down to 2.7% for a couple of months last year, which, which is like just I've, historic lows. Which like I've always kind of felt like anything below five is good, right? It's, yeah, absolutely. So two, wow. Yeah. So what that represents in... Anchorage is less than 5,000 people looking for work right now. But aren't some people, and probably these are the, the, the lower income job, but some people are working more than one job because, right. you know, I mean, this is what I've always said. Um, if, if you're willing to work full time in this country, if you're willing to put in 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't care what you're doing, you know, but if you're willing to do that, you should be able to ha- have a life, right? you know, live somewhere, you know, be, be able to go on a vacation, God forbid, once a year. Right. Not have to work. And I've, I know people that work two jobs. Yeah. You know, they work a regular job and then they work like they drive Uber or they work at a restaurant or they have. So like, you're, you know, you can't live like that where you're working like nine to five or whatever. And then you have to like to go to somewhere else after work, you know, another job in the, or the weekend. Right. You know, we, we, we have to be able to like relax a little bit. Totally. People deserve to have a good quality of life and take care of themselves and their health and spend time with their family. I mean, even even 20 bucks an hour in Anchorage, full time, well, what's 40 hours a week, 800 I mean, 3,200, you know, whatever. You got taxes. Think about rent. Right. You know, food. Childcare. Child. I mean, that's... So the state chamber right now, I was talking to my friend Katie Capozzi. They're really big. They're looking into this childcare thing because... Yeah. It is like... It's like 20 grand a year or something. Oh, to, oh, to, absolutely. For, for, child, for kid. Yeah. For kid. Yeah. Which is like... Even for people that make good money. I mean, I, I have friends that are, you know, well off. They make a lot of money, you know, and they just bring in au pairs. Because it's still it's still pretty expensive, but it's just it's just cheaper to do that. Literally, to import somebody from another country to live with you mm-hmm. than than have you know childcare here in the city. I mean, it's not just our city; it's all over the country. But it's like crazy expensive here. Yeah, Thread Alaska just did an economic summit last week and shared statistics that just really show that the the childcare model that we have in the United States is not 
financially feasible. I mean, like, for instance, in Alaska, there's regulations that say you can only have a certain amount of children in a classroom per provider. Um, but once you once you do the math and say, OK, this is how much we have in wages and here's our overhead in terms of um, the building and utilities and all of these things that go into running a child care center, there's there's like barely anything left over for the um, entity to make a profit or even break even. And so the alternative to that is like, okay, raise prices or reduce regulations. And neither one of those are very palatable. Um, I think sometimes there's a perception that there's a lot of government assistance going into childcare. And some I don't of think there's that much. There's not. Um, I think total McKinley Research was sharing some statistics um, showing that it was about like $550 million a year is spent on child care, and 400 of that is paid for by families. I mean, so it, that's it, like, you know, roughly 20, 25 percent. I mean, it, it almost seems to me, and, and you know, people are going to say, oh, you're a socialist or whatever, but why isn't the state, like, helping, not just for the state workers or public workers, but for, I mean, we to have a private sector economy, people need to be able to, like, work, and, you know, we, we want people to have kids. We need kids. Like, this, we have a real problem in this country, demographic problem with the, the, the low birth rate. Mm-hmm. There's a really good book I read years ago um, in my book club called One Billion Americans by Matthew Iglesias. Oh, okay. I haven't and, read that one. And he, he kind of co-founded Vox with Ezra Klein. Really smart. He's got a great Twitter. Um, he actually came to our – I reached out to him, and he responded. It was wild. He came to our book club meeting and talked about it. But the book – the whole point of the book is we need – you know, he thinks we need a billion people to be able to compete with China. And even if we had a billion people, we'd still have a lower population density than all, country, all the countries in Europe. Yeah. But but how do you get there? You know, there's two ways to get there: is birth rate increase increase the birth rate and immigration import you know bring people in. Yeah. And and we're we're failing on both. I mean, Correct. we have a border problem where people are just coming over and just jumping the border. And the, that's not know, the kind we, of immigration we that, that we need, he's referring to. I'm sure it's you know, he's qualified talking, immigrants. He's talking about very mm-hmm. bringing people, good people, mm-hmm. smart people that you want. You know, because I mean, immigrants like the the information on this is so clear. I mean, they 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 their kids do better. They appreciate. I mean, they contribute. So I mean, like that's a Instant way to bring in adult workers, and then they have kids, you know. But but we're failing on both of those fronts. And his whole part, a big part of that book is zoning, housing. You got to build housing, but then childcare. And if we don't figure that out, you know, that's why I, I talk to so many people who would have kids or more kids, even people that are like making good money. Mm-hmm. If if the childcare thing wasn't as big of a problem, it's true. You'll hear parents these days say, "As soon as we got two kids in childcare." That bill became more than our mortgage, and that is just out of whack. Yeah, something's it's it's unaffordable. So I mean, I'm I'm commending the governor for putting together the task force. I know Katie is really involved in that, which is great. Yeah, um, she spoke at this this conference last week as well. So I mean, the the conversation's definitely starting. Um, and then here in Anchorage, we recently passed Proposition 14, which dedicated. Um, That's the marijuana tax. Yes, thing, right? it, de- it de- dedicated marijuana tax to childcare and early education. Um, so I believe the revenues for that are going to start getting, being collected in January 1st of um, this coming year. And then we'll see, you know, ultimately where those funds go and how much of an impact that has. Tell me about the airport. I feel like the airport's one of our good things. The airport is one of our great things. Yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 uh, what is it called? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm. Not bull- bullish. Bullish, yeah. yeah I'm bullish, bullish on the airport. Yeah, you, and you I should be. I get those be. mixed up sometimes, bearish uh, yeah, and bullish. Yeah, as you should be. Um, so 
the Anchorage International Airport is in an incredibly strategic location for cargo um, transportation because we're, it, we're, we're popping over there, especially with COVID. Yeah. We, we we're, were like the first or second again in the world, weren't we? We are the third largest cargo airport in the world. And we, we just recently actually surpassed Shanghai. So we were the fourth. But for a minute during COVID, weren't we the busiest in the world for like, a, there was a period where I think. No, we, were, we, we were weren't quite the, that good. We've got um, Memphis, Tennessee and Hong Kong ahead of us. We got screwed with these, these long distance uh, jumbo jets. Because they used to all, everybody used to have to stop here from Europe and Asia, those transcontinentals. Well, and a lot of them still do. And that's the, that's the source of a lot of the activity at the airport is the flights that are coming over from Asia that are bound for uh, the lower 48 North America. Um, they stop here to refuel because what they can do is if they bring less fuel over, that's room for more, more cargo. cargo. Yeah. Exactly. It's and crazy whenever I, I mean, I have friends come visit or whatever and they're like, man, I can't. You see like 10 or 15 747s and Air China and FedEx and UP. I mean, it's just like for, for a city of 300,000 people, our airport is like popping. Oh, it's it's great. And it's the source of one out of seven jobs in yeah. Anchorage. It's a huge economic driver. Um, we're seeing private investment happening at the airport. Um, just earlier this month, we did the groundbreaking ceremony for Northlink Aviation. Mm -hmm. They're building a $200 million cargo facility. Alaska yeah. Airlines a couple years back built that brand new hangar. Oh, it's stunning! Been yeah, in there? it's huge. Of course, yeah. That's where I saw their new plane. Actually, they unveiled it mm -hmm. um, in that hangar, and it was just it was huge. You're right, and it's beautiful. Um, so, so Northlink Aviation is um, is starting their project, and that's a 200 million dollar cargo facility, and I, it will add I want to say 15 hard stands, um, which are basically airplane parking spots. Um, <coughs> And additional warehousing space. Speaking of childcare, they're very forward-thinking. They're going to have a childcare center on site on their. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, which will be great for their employees and potentially other airport employees as well. And then there's another um, couple of investment groups I know that um, FedEx is considering an expansion out at the airport, and then another private investment group is looking at doing like a cold storage facility out there as well. Who, who's the head of the airport now? It's uh, Campbell, right? Craig Campbell. He's, he's acting still because there was that. I believe it's. Permanent. Was he made permanent? There was that Samant. What's his name? The Polish name. He was like, he moved. He was like there for a while, but then he mm. he was only there for a couple of years, and I think he went back to Chicago or something. I'm not sure who that was. So I was I work with Jim, Craig. Jim something. Yeah, he's a Craig. Craig took over after he left. Sabinski or something like it's that. Like Simonansk. I forget. It's like I'll have to look it up. But yeah. He was there. He was he was like a big. He had run big airports, and then he moved up here. And then I don't know what went somewhere else. But yeah, I think Craig. Yeah, Craig I don't know if Craig was made permanent or. Or not, or acting, because that's that's appointed by the governor, right? Because I mean, our, our airports are kind of state-run, the big airports. It's the, a state department. You know. Yep, yep. It's Craig and Trudy and a couple other folks over there. It's a smaller team than you would expect. They're really a, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, no. I mean, I think I mean of, of, of all the things I complain about in Anchorage, and there are many things to complain about. The airport is like one of the yeah. good, good good things we got going. Yeah, and I just joined the um, master plan working group. They update their uh, airport master plan every ten years. And are you dealing with those friggin' was it turning one of those community councils? It's just, it's like people bitch because they live by. It's like you live by the airport. Okay, yeah. don't if you don't want to deal with the plane noise. Don't live by the airport. They're trying to stop that. There was an expan. What's going on? There's an expansion. It's the Northlink one that, that I'm talking about. These people are just bitch. This is what I was talking about before. These little groups yeah. say, "Oh my God, the air noise in the air." Don't live by the airport if you're worried about airplane noise. The CEO was very patient um, and went to a lot of community council meetings and had a lot of community conversations about all of their concerns. Well, and I think he handled it really, really well. Yeah, he was a general, Craig Campbell. He was. Uh huh. Yeah, so he's. Yeah. Familiar with. 
Yeah. Well, I'm talking people. about the CEO of Northlink as well. Oh, North, okay. Yeah. I think you meant the Craig Campbell. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good. You got to. You got to do that. You know, you got to. I was president of the Taco Campbell Community Council for several years, and mm-hmm. I was president of the FCC. And yeah, you know, you just see like these these people come in, and it's like you have to deal with them. And this is like the worst. I think one of the worst words in the English language is stakeholders, because it can mean anything. And then you know, anybody that has an interest. It's in not this shareholders. Project. It's stakeholders. Like I don't have a financial interest. I just I just I don't want the the big bad plane flying over my house. So I'm gonna like, come yeah. to meetings and yell and scream. Remember for a while, a couple of years ago, it was like two or three years ago, when they were fixing the runway. And those planes were taken off on the oh yes the, the north the east west runway. Yeah, you know, I live over there, kind of cl- pretty close on Old Seward and Darling. Damn, that was like a yeah. lot. That was woo. It really makes you grateful for the ocean that's right next to our airport yes, that's because a great... most of the time they mm-hmm. they take off in that direction and come down in that direction, and so um, we're saved from all of that. I mean, jet there, there was noise. Some, like seven forty seven. I mean, you, you they were they were pretty low. Totally. I mean, you can like read the number. You're like, wow, this is pretty loud. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was pretty rough. It makes you uh, puts it in perspective. It makes you feel real grateful that we don't have to deal with that all the time. So what else we got? We got the mayor's. I know you're not probably going to talk too much about that, but you got your former boss there. He's in the race, and you got Chris Tuck and Suzanne LaFrance and Dave Bronson and Dustin Darden. Got to have him in there. Yeah. There's that Corey, Darren Colbury. He's kind of another. So there's six right now. Four actual serious ones, but I think we're probably going to see some more people get in the race before the deadline in January. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of uh, people that are really passionate about Anchorage and want to throw their hat in the ring. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a few more candidates. Do you have any uh, any preference there? Or are you going to kind of keep that? Not <clears> at <throat> all. Not at all. You know, my, my role over at ADC is to make whoever is in the mayor's office the most successful economic development mayor that they can possibly be. So I'm happy to work with anybody in that office at any time. Um, our, you sound, our, like a, you sound like a politician. You're, you're getting ready for something down the road. You're, no, you're real not good. at all. I truly believe what's good for Anchorage is to not have any kind of infighting or anything like that and just work with whoever's in those positions to help them make or help them be as successful as they can be because that will help. Anchorage be as successful as it can be. So what what else are we looking at? Dot like let's say five. Like do we have anything good coming up? I mean I, I don't have a lot of optimism, but what do we? Oh, we have a lot of good stuff coming. Earlier, up. you were talking about a bunch of projects that are private sector projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've talked about Northlink, which is a big um, project out of the airport, as well as two other potential projects at the airport. Um, Alieska is planning a $250 million expansion of their hotel um, to include like a little ski village down there by Chair 7 and the tram, um, additional housing, a community center. I was going to say, well, they don't try to build any housing. Deal with those Girdwood, Holton Hill You know, I, I told them about that. I said, make sure you're talking to the community. Make sure the community's on board with this. And they assured me that they are. I like this uh, John Faulkner, Mead Treadwell deal. They got some state land. Down there, they're doing that little uh, oh, right. runway housing, uh, you know, hangar deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, th- those people up there don't, can't can't say shit about that. I love that. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that project. That, that's another interesting one. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and then we have to talk about downtown Anchorage. So, oh God, the the entire Block 41 project is underway. If you've been downtown recently. Um, the old Key Bank building, which I believe is now called the Glacier Building. Look, it finally took a while with COVID. It looks pretty good. It's stunning. It looks beautiful. It's got a really nice um, like LED light strip going on. And I I take uh, New Seward and then I take a left to kind of head into downtown every morning. And that skyline is just beautiful, especially with that light bar. It really just like adds a pop of color. We have a good downtown. I just it's really gone really down the hill over the years. And when I first moved here in 04, I've talked about this. It was like more vibrant. There was more going yeah. on. And- no, it's just like there's this homeless problem, which is huge, and there's just kind of like, 
I don't know. He, I, there's a safety. It's my friend got murdered in 2012 downtown on Halloween, yeah. and and there's just like it's just not a place. I used to when I was younger. Maybe I'm getting older, but it's like on the weekends you go out, you go to the bars, you go with your friends. It was like fun, and yeah, I just don't. I don't know how much that's happening anymore. Well, I know. So I sat on the board of the Anchorage Downtown Partnership, and they at our last board meeting they were uh, sharing statistics on their programming that they had over the summer and so at this was in September and they were saying that they had already surpassed the number of attendees that they had in all of 2022 by September which didn't include Halloween Thanksgiving New Year's Christmas and how much of that is tourism um, it, it, it's a part of it, but we had a great tourism year in 2022. So I mm-hmm. think a lot of locals are coming downtown as well this year. It's a combination of both. Um, and either way, it's good. You know, we want people to be lively um, and downtown and to be populated and have people enjoying themselves and spending money at the small businesses around. Are you like Ferrandi and shit? I love that. You know, yeah. it's, it's the, but I just, I don't know. I just, it's, it's like every, every mayor since I've been here talks, you know, revitalizing downtown. And okay, but I have more. So Block 41 is just one thing, right? And that, that building on the corner of Block 41 um, is just one component. That entire block is going to be redeveloped with retail, hotels. Um, I think they're going to have some parking on site. There's going to be all kinds of businesses. It's going to be totally reimagined. And if the Glacier Building is any indication, I think it's going to be really beautiful as well. So that's Block 41. And then if you move a little bit further east, um, the Aviator Hotel, Mark Begich and Sheldon Fisher, um, they are redeveloping that project. I believe that's about a $70 million project. Um, The Post Office Mall was also purchased. Um, The yellow thing? Yellow building? That's the Sunshine Plaza. The post office mall is the blue one right next to okay, it. Yeah, right next door. Yeah. yeah, and so they're totally renovating that building. They're putting housing up top, um, businesses on that middle floor, and then it actually kind of goes down below that hill, and they have a goal of putting a grocery store in there, which would be great for downtown. Yeah, there's no gro- – I mean, there's the gar- cars on Gamble, I guess, but we used to work across the street, and yeah. that place has its own we, set of problems. You've got that little uh, K Street Market, which has got Johnny's Produce in it, so you can get oh, some yeah. fresh produce yeah, I now. Guess there's that there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so those are a couple of large projects that are happening downtown. Um, Debenham is nearing um, completion of their new housing development um, that's right next to the K Street. I think it's at, like, 8th and K, I want to say. Um, but that's 44 units of new downtown housing which will be online hopefully here pretty soon. Um, Trying to think, what else do we have? I mean, we haven't even touched on the billions of dollars that are coming into our state from um, different oil projects. We've got PICA and Willow, Mm -hmm. which that's, you know, $10 billion at least combined. We need to figure out the housing there because a lot of people are moving to the Valley. Yeah. You know, they're they're building a lot in the Valley. The Valley is kind of booming for, I mean, last year half the houses in the state were built, new houses were built in the Valley. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you're right. I mean, these these issues that we're talking about, housing, child care, workforce shortages, they need to be worked on because otherwise what's going to be our limiting factor to our economic growth is the fact that we don't have workers here in Anchorage to be able yeah. to complete these billions of dollars that are coming into our state. Um, it, so in addition to the oil side of things, there's also the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. I mean, billions of dollars are coming into Alaska through that. Again, where are we going to find the workers? Well, I got downtown. Yeah, I'm thinking about that bridge. Let me tell you, it's right there. Maybe you should run for office. Maybe, I, you know what? Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> Won't be the last. Yeah, well, good for you, Jen. It's great talking to you. You're, you're really uh, you got a good g- grasp on things here, so I'm, I'm glad you're doing yeah. that. A lot of, of kind of new younger people are starting to 
Yeah. Move into some of these jobs. Yeah. I mean, I was born and raised here in Anchorage. I absolutely love this city. And I'm really, really excited to be in this role and be able to advance us forward in terms of economic prosperity. And um, you're right. There are some younger folks um, taking over. Um, one of our, our close partners is the Chamber of Commerce. And Kathleen McArdle's over there. She just took over for Bruce mm-hmm. Bustamante. So her and I were uh, kind of catching up last week about how it's uh, it's really great to just kind of have this new energy in some of these organizations and it's going to be so much fun to work together a lot of ladies in these trade groups there's I Katie, know. there's you there's deantha at the miners Kara moriarty Kara, there's alicia at the uh, the associate general contractors uh yep you've got rebecca logan, rebecca logan you've got Lyons. julie soppy radhika krishna and then you got um the atia J- jillian now she's Oh, I haven't had the chance to meet travel her industry. Yet. So yeah, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of like girl power there, huh? I'm I'm here for it. Let's Absolutely, make it yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like I said, I, I want to be optimistic. I just I, I have a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. Maybe it's just like I'm in the bubble with this politics and yeah, so much things reasons to be not be. But you know, I, I hope that, that you mentioned a lot of good things, and I live here. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. So I mean, I want I want it to be I want it to be a good place. You know, I want it to be successful, and I want it to be vibrant. And it will be. the The momentum is there. It's happening. We were we stagnated during COVID. That's for sure. That was a challenging <clears throat> time. Um, but I truly think that the things that we're going to see out of Anchorage in the coming years are going to be very positive. And I think it'll hopefully turn around your uh, turn around your pessimism. I hope so. I want I want I want to <laughs> be I want to be bullish, not bearish. Yes. Right? Okay. Bullish on Alaska. Bullish on Anchorage. I like that. Okay. Well, Jenna Wright, President and CEO of the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having I'm me. I'm glad this happened. We had a couple uh, rescheduling issues, so I'm glad, glad we finally made it happen. We finally got it done, and Here it was are. a lot of fun. Good, good, good talk. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.